Hello, and welcome to the TradQuest Podcast. I'm your host, James Orr. Joining us today, Mr. Hardcore himself, Chris Tipton. Chris is from Sutherland, Oregon, and is an electrician by trade, but he lives and breathes bow hunting. Eight days a week, 417 days a year, this guy is picking up sheds, scouting down big blacktail bucks, trying to figure out how he's gonna kill his next Roosevelt bull, but in this episode, we're not talking blacktails and Roosevelts. We're gonna follow Chris on his once-in-a-lifetime Oregon bighorn sheep hunt. So please join us. What's up, Chris? Uh, Chris Tipton is a, a real good friend of mine, and I'm super excited to have him on the show. Chris, how are you doing today? Doing great, James. Thanks for having me over. Uh, uh, Chris came down this afternoon. Uh, he lives over in the valley, and I'm on the coast here in Oregon, and. He uh, drove down to record this podcast with me today and uh, join uh, me and the boys. We have a Wednesday night traditional only league. Uh, we're going to get together and have some laughs and shoot some arrows tonight, and we're, we're looking forward to that. Well, Chris, uh, here we are uh, on episode two of my uh, TradQuest podcast, and I'm real excited to have you on here because you're kind of instrumental in bringing me into traditional archery. Uh, you're definitely one of my... Uh, uh, mentors and great friends in uh, this wonderful sport we call traditional archery. Tell me a little bit more about how we met, Chris. Well, I was at the uh, Oregon uh, sports show there in Roseburg, and I was volunteering at the record book booth doing some scoring, and you introduced yourself to me, and we just kind of hit it off there. And uh, our relationship kind of started there and built substantially over uh, a couple of years. Yeah, let, let, let me interrupt you there. So uh, I walk up to this booth, and I mean, this place is my, my first sportsman show. This is like 10 years ago. There's just big elk racks everywhere and big old Boone and Crockett bear skulls and big black tails and mule deer, and I'm just overwhelmed and and uh, there's all these guys everywhere. And I see Chris over there helping do some measuring. And I, I go over and talk to him. And, I mean, you could just see it in his eyes. I mean, this guy it is intense. I, I knew right away uh, I was drawn to Chris. Uh, I wanted to get to know Chris. Um, I, don't know, I don't know if it's that giant black Roosevelt rack you had in your hand that I was so excited about. Or uh, that uh, I'd learned that you're a traditional bow hunter. And that just blew me away. I, I couldn't believe it. I, I, uh, I went home and just started researching. So, uh, so yeah, from there, yeah. And, and, and then you're like, uh, tell you what, just drive up the road to uh, my good buddy Norm Johnson's uh, Blacktail yeah. Bows, which is just up the road for me. He says he's going to get you squared away and get you uh, started. And so He'll be uh, a great teacher, is what I told you. And he's uh, been that and more for you yeah i mean yeah that's that'll be that's another podcast it is uh so basically in, in a nutshell i ran up to johnson's and and he was so busy building bows he gave me a recurve a handful of arrows a shooting glove and said take this home and and uh let me know uh, how it works out for you that's it. what i like about norm norm is uh as uh, as good a guy as you're gonna find on the planet so he's eager to to help and if that means letting uh, a guy borrow one of his bows for a month or two, he's uh, he's all for it. Yeah, know? yeah. So yeah. that's how we met and got started, and we've just 
We've just become uh, dynamite friends over the last, uh, has it been 10 years now? It's coming on 10. Because mm-hmm. uh, I took that that big Roosevelt the year before. Yeah. The, and that was 2000. One of the big Roosevelts. <laughs> uh, that was 2009 or 2007. So, but uh, we were, uh, that's how we got going and we've just been uh, nonstop getting better and smarter and at uh we, we could easily jump into a rabbit hole right now with elk roosevelt's it'd be real easy or, or black-tailed deer but i'm gonna hold and save that stuff and talk to you about that on another podcast uh i want to get down to the meat and potatoes i want to get down to uh to your bighorn uh chris was uh lucky enough to draw to draw a bighorn sheep tag in oregon it's a once in a lifetime opportunity um, I'll throw a few stats out there. I don't know how accurate they are, but I think just to give you guys a little understanding um, from what I looked up, there's about 86 of these tags in Oregon. 84 of them are uh, are uh, a draw tag, and it's a once-in-a-lifetime. You, you put in for it. There's no preference points, and if you get drawn, uh, you can't even put in again. That's it. That's your, your, one, your one opportunity, one shot. Is that right, Chris? Yeah, it's not... Quite, he's. They give out one to two, two tags on average per game management. Unit. Right, and and I was going to get to that. There's there's 31 so. game management area, uh, units, and there's only one to four tags per unit. So, most of them are one to two. There's a few with four and a few with three, but for the most part, um, uh, these tags are very. Uh, uh, and, and with 86 tags, two of them being a raffle auction tag. Um, it's still, you got the whole state putting in for them. I know, I, I personally know gentlemen that have put in for these tags for 40 years and they didn't draw and they're probably never going to. So, I mean, that's just uh, how it, how it goes. That's the reality of it. The tag I drew for the unit gave out two tags, two tags. Yep. And it was an August hunt and it's. And let's let's go back. Three hundred people put in for this same tag. You, when you, you do the math, it's a point zero six percent chance right. to draw. And you've been putting in for a bighorn for, for over twenty years. Twenty years. And, and so, tell us about how you found out. Did did you find out online? Did you get a card mailed to you? Tell me where you were when. I mean, this is big time. You get a well, bighorn sheep tag in Oregon. It's it's it's, it's it huge. is a big deal, especially for. Especially for those of us who really enjoy the outdoors. Uh, I enjoy the outdoors. I'm an average guy. I'm just an electrician. I don't have a large bank account. Not yet. And to do this tag, do the hunt, uh, uh, it's tough. And just to have a friend draw the tag to go with is special. And uh, the whole... the day I found out was I uh, recently, I just got home from Alaska. I ran up there and passed a, the electrical state exam up there to get my journeyman's card to work. And I really wasn't anticipating on drawing any tags to the year before I drew all my good tags I could draw. But I thought I'd check just to make sure. And I sat down with the computer and opened up my ODF&W uh, website and logged in with my uh, ID number and uh, lo and behold I was a successful recipient of a California bighorn sheep tag for the McClellan unit 
there over by John Day, Oregon. Pretty uh, overwhelming uh, for multiple reasons. This is going to be the first sheep hunt I ever did, ever even been on. And I had seven short weeks to prepare for the first hunt of the year, a hunt I've never done. It's only 12 days, and I'll never get to do it again. And this is an any weapon hunt, and 99.9% uh, .9 of everybody's going to take the 7 mag up. And I know that uh, that's what everyone was telling you to do. You just went for the gusto and decided to go with your homemade longbow, didn't you, Chris? Yeah, that's uh, extremely interesting when you have a once-in-a-lifetime tag. You've got some really great animals in that uh, McClellan-Aldridge uh, sheep units. And uh, you only got seven weeks to get ready. And I have been hunting with traditional archery for a good 15 years at that time. And I knew already I was going to hunt with traditional archery for the sheep hunt, regardless um, that it was any weapon. Now, you, you started traditional bow hunting when you were a teenager? Yeah, at 19, I uh, had been hunting... Uh, with the compound, pretty simple, shooting fingers, uh, no sight, shooting instinctively with the compound. And uh, I won bow hunter of the year for youth at 18. And I, I was doing pretty good for a, a kid back in the, the late 80s and 90s, early 90s, hunting with... Uh, the uh, compound set up and I watched my dad go to traditional archery there uh, about the time I was 18 and he was just having so much fun with it and he uh, had a custom built recurve by Jim Brackenberry oh very nice and I was kind of getting bored with it I knew I was graduating high school moving on to college I knew it was going to be very time consuming and I was concerned I might get bored with bow hunting like a lot of guys do with all the technology it, just, it really simplifies it so I started doing a bunch of research into traditional archery and Norm Johnson's name came up he was only a couple hours away over in Reedsport Oregon and I befriended him and immediately enjoyed his personality and his philosophy and his uh, attitude and I had to make me up a, a, a hunter recurve model that he used to uh, run and I got my foot feet wet with that and uh, I liked the, the idea that I had to completely change my my strategy as an outdoorsman I had to because I wanted to target mature animals still even with limited traditional archery gear I knew there wasn't going to be a whole lot of killing going on and uh, it was going to take a few years for me to learn, get my learning, get through the learning curve, learn how to shoot this well enough out to 20, 25 yards, and learn how to hunt whatever particular species of animal I was targeting, which is black-tailed deer, black bear, and Roosevelt elk here on the West Coast. Right. So let's fast forward. So uh, we move forward from your teenage years. Now you are... Four. In my late 30s, I drew a sheep tag. And yeah, so, so you're not even the, considering the gun. So you've been you've been bow hunting only, stick bow hunting only from this point. That's right, and 
I'd taken some nice animals. It wasn't a new subject to me. Right. I wanted to do something unique. Uh, drawing the sheep tag was definitely unique. And to take a California bighorn ram in the state of Oregon was going to be very unique. Uh, up to 2011, when I drew the tag, nobody had taken a California bighorn ram with traditional archery. And at this point, you'd been tinkering with uh, building your own laminated longbows in the garage? Well, only that winter had I really got a desire to make my own homemade longbow. And even at the day I found out I drew my sheep tag, I still hadn't made a bow that was going to meet the 50-pound requirement for, uh, that I wanted for my sheep hunt. So I had seven weeks to get ready. I had to get in shape. I had to get this bow made. I really wanted to make this hunt memorable because you're never going to get to do it again. And to do another hunt, they're $15,000, for a That's a cheap sheep hunt. So Yeah, versus being able to just draw a tag in your home state and do it on your own. Uh... Exactly. So the uh, excitement was definitely at an all-time high, but it, it, you want to do it right. And I was pretty tense and keyed up trying to learn all I could just on how to judge a quality ram. My goal was to take a 150-inch class ram. So at this point, a scouting trip has been planned. and Yeah, I knew I wanted to do two scouting trips. And the way I treated them mentally was each of these are going to be mini sheep hunts. Okay. So That's the, smart. The first scouting trip is going to be get my butt there, learn the mountain ranges, get an eyeball on every canyon, feel the weather, the barometric pressure, the sage, the juniper, the ponderosa pine, the, the, the heat level there in central Oregon, and get myself acclimated to 6,500 feet versus 1,500 feet on the Oregon coast. And uh, you know, just I wanted to put a dent in that mountain as best I could. And then three weeks uh, later plan another sheep hunt which ended up being about two weeks before the actual sheep hunt started and those scouting trips were instrumental to help break down this big complex mountain range to help minimize the intimidation factor and help eliminate any unwanted surprises that way I can relax and just focus on what I want to do and that is find rams watch them Plan my hunt from there. Uh, did you uh, do these scouting trips? Did you do these alone, or didn't, didn't you end up taking a friend with you? The first trip was by myself, and then the second trip I took one of my, my good buddies tour with me. Awesome. And did, were you guys able to lay your eyes on any animals on any of these scouting trips or get a game plan together? Or? Oh, absolutely. That's what you're thinking about continually when you're uh, trying to maximize your time on these scouting trips. These were two to three day scouting trips. I wanted uh, emergency stash, uh, have gear, food and water particularly stashed in a couple different mountain parts of the mountain range so that uh, in case of an emergency or just out of necessity, I had the, the two most important things and that was food and water. 
just watching and observing the the rams and their animal uh, ram behavior. The uh, both trips I saw numerous rams. I was seeing over twenty rams on both trips. Uh, I definitely saw very good big rams on both on both scouting trips. Uh, the second trip was really special, and uh, just because uh, I got the first trip, the butterflies were out of me, and the uh, naivety was gone at that point. And I shot lots of pictures, so when I went home, I could look the scenery over and just further memorize and familiarize myself with the environment so I could focus on the hunt and not be worried about trying to learn something that really was elementary that would be time-consuming and energy-consuming because a sheep hunt is extremely... If you're going to do it, you're going to go hard and do it right. It's going to be very uh, energy-consuming, emotionally and physically. So, yeah, a lot of ups and downs. And we'll get into that as we get into the hunt. Um, So at this point, you're also building a bow in between these scouting trips and tuning arrows and getting gear together then it's uh it's go time so let's uh let, let's get into it let's uh let's let's start with uh um opening morning and and uh, let's let's move through these trials and tribulations and ups and downs of this uh, bighorn sheep hunt yeah the the sheep hunt was about as perfect of a sheep hunt operation i could ask for uh, i want to talk a little bit about why i selected this unit and I, I realized my percentages of draw on the tag were, for any of the sheep tags, are extremely minimal. But uh, I just asked God that I'd draw a sheep tag one day in my life, and uh, I put it in his hands, and uh, it was a perfect timing. I was learning how to make a longbow that winter, and I uh, was, uh, work was pretty slow. I, didn't, I wasn't real busy with my career at the time. And I love the McClellan unit over all the other California Bighorn sheep units for the primary reason it was it had timber on the mountains. Right. And 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 with that I know guys are thinking, oh man, spot and stock. You're not going to the big open country, you're you're going to where where there's timber and and I know that some of our mutual friends were thinking, oh, that's gonna be a really tough hunt for Chris with without uh without a country that's not real wide open so tell us more about that yeah now this has to do with attitude and philosophy as a traditional archer i need to think of how i can get close and personal with a a ram and the high desert hunts down in southeast oregon are just that high desert hunts it's wide open it's short sage and the rams like it out there they're safe out there i knew i wanted to hunt exclusively with traditional archery on this hunt the mcclellans it's not uh completely forested in but it's open enough and it's got enough cover where i can spot rams at the same time i've got enough cover to put a move on them plus it's just such, it's a hot hunt, and I wanna I wanna make myself I wanna be comfortable, and you gotta be in the shade. Right. So to draw that, and plus I was only five hours away, uh, is one of the closer sheep units. All this played in critically. 
Interesting note though, I didn't know it at the time until after I drew the tag and I started calling the biologists and other archery hunters that were familiar with the area in the unit that uh, it was legal to use a four-wheeler from the trailhead to the top of the mountain, at which point you have to park your motorized vehicle and go on foot. Well, it's a, it's a solid four miles from the trailhead to the top. Well, it's... You can definitely hike it, but my thought is why waste my time and energy when I can run a four-wheeler to the top, sure. and then I spend all day, all week, just cruising the top of the mountains, spotting and glassing for rams all day. And that's... It saves energy, saves time. Uh, you're, you're maximizing your energy and time up there, which you need to be, you need to be behind the glass spotting the rams. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, uh, you know, wanting to be a young, hardcore bow hunter, you want to go harder, but sometimes it's smarter to hunt smarter and not harder. That's an excellent philosophy, and that's just it. I didn't want to be diving down in the bottom of canyons. I walked away from a number of rams once season got going, or the wind just wasn't right. And even though you got a short window to hunt, 12 days, and the days are flying by, it's beautiful scenery. You're having, you're living the dream. You're living a sheep hunter's dream. You now, gotta, you are sharing this dream. You mentioned it's a two-tag unit. So you do have another tag holder on the mountain. Um, did that put any hiccups for you? Or um, how, how did that, uh, I mean, that was an obstacle uh, as a hunter that you had to uh, work with? There was one other tag holder, and it was a young lady. Uh, she was very fortunate. Her dad was a very knowledgeable sheep hunter, very avid, um, uh, knowledgeable sheep guide, excuse me, and very avid outdoorsman. I'd talked to a number of other individuals who'd been on sheep hunts and around, and they gave me some advice for the sheep hunt. I... I agree with what these other gentlemen were given, telling me. And uh, I was real fortunate. They were a wonderful family. Um, it, uh, uh, this particular unit, the rams, 80% of the rams like to be in these two canyons. The advice I was given that I think is actually pretty good advice, help the other hunter get their ram. More than likely, you're going to have the unit to yourself. It took a couple days for the rams to calm down. She took a nice ram on uh, the second or third day of the hunt. And then it was a couple days there. I didn't see very many rams. But uh, but after that, I mean, you were pretty much, you had the mountain to yourself. Once, well, once I did have the mountain to myself, but I'm trying to think. It was, it was, there was two, three days I didn't see very many rams just because of the amount of uh, human traffic up there. But once after uh, those three days were over with and everybody was gone, uh, it was just me and then I had a, a good friend of mine, Scott, with me. And it was, uh, he was working as my spotter and just uh, moral support. It, uh, the rams became visible. I attempted a couple of stocks and the wind just wasn't cooperative. So I either backed out um, well, the first stock, the rams took off, and then the second one, I went down after them into that canyon. Realized the wind wasn't wrong, and I turned around, and I walked all the way back out of there. That's probably one of the best. That was 
probably the, the most critical decision I made on the hunt because it was either the next day or the day after that I did the exact same stock again and the thermals were perfect and I ended up uh, fulfilling a, a dream. And So tell us about that. Let's slow down. Uh, let's rewind. Um, you, you're get, getting ready to start the stock. Uh, how far were you when you spotted them? Uh, how long did the stock last? Uh, give us a play-by-play of uh, how this all came together for you. Well, I, uh, Scott and I, we'd, uh, we just had a, a great morning. Uh, our particular camp setup was awesome. We had base camp in the bottom of the canyon. Uh, Dad ran base camp, kind of kept an eye on things. And it was really nice because the Rams really like to be on the uh, west side of that unit where a guy could drive up on the opposite side of the canyon and park and set up a tripod and spot and scope and watch the rams. And uh, we'd do that first thing in the morning, and then we'd go back to camp and have a big big breakfast. Then we'd get our gear ready, and Scott and I would jump on the four-wheelers and ride to the top of the mountain and, and spend the rest of the day hunting. Uh, we had one night where we spiked out and camped, but that's what we did that morning, uh, the day I shot my ram. We got up there. I went to the first glassing point. Scott went on down the trail. I immediately, I, was, I knew what I was looking for. I was watching, I was looking for seven rams about midway down the mountain. Uh, there was one particular ram I really liked, and I located him right off the bat that morning. And I was watching him, and the whole point with uh, trying to maximize your, your effort on stalking a ram is, you're only going to get probably one shot and you want to make you want to maximize that opportunity and that that'll happen when they lay down and the thermal steady and you can plan your stock that way well scott took off down the trail and i'd been there glassing for half an hour when i hear footsteps running down the trail from scott's direction and scott told me he uh he also had some big rams located. So it was a pretty exciting morning. We had uh, several groups of rams located. And you say we're in timber. It, it, there, it, there's some open faces in this timber. It's steep. It's Right. You have patches of timber in the draws, and then you have rocky, craggy, okay. uh, juniper, patches of juniper and mahogany, bitter brush mm-hmm. throughout the landscape, and the rams are moving about on the cliffs if uh, uh, we there, were spoiled. Is, is we, there other wildlife in the area? Are there mule deer in the area? Yeah, there's some mule deer. You got Rocky Mountain elk. You got uh, black bear. Um, uh, lions and wolves are also. I was warned about the potential of having a, uh, of the ramps disappearing on me because either lions or wolves moved into the area. I was real fortunate and, uh, I didn't see any lion sign, didn't see any wolf sign. It was pretty apparent. The rams were, like I said, I was seeing roughly around two dozen rams on my scouting trips. And we were definitely seeing rams uh, on average almost every day. Okay. Somebody saw rams. So it was, it was just this, the joy of watching them and seeing them uh, just made it a, a five-star sheep hunt. 
Okay, so now we're in the timber, and you've just heard from your friend. He's got some big rams spotted. You've got some rams spotted. Um, sounds like it, it. things are heating up. Well, it's just about the seventh or eighth day of the hunt. I'm kind of, I'm definitely getting worn down. I was uh, mentally starting to, well, I'd, it was a few days earlier. I was definitely mentally getting drained because after six days of hard hunting, I still hadn't had a good stock, let alone get a shot off. And yeah, I got about six days left to hunt. Time's so, running out and there's no next season, no next year, no next anything. I'm uh, wondering if this is going to work out. We watch the rams. We watch them bed. Scott and I, we make our way around the mountain. We stood up in glass again. We've got a couple hours. It's mid-morning. It's going to be noon before the thermals steady. We, we're just we're relaxing. The rams aren't going to go anywhere. They, we just need to pace ourselves. Right. A sheep hunt is best described as a marathon. Copy. You are not going to sprint to your trophy ram. You do that before season by running the miles, lifting the weights, eating healthy, getting your gear dialed in, putting in the time on the, on the archery range so that when the sheep hunt gets there, you can relax and do what you need to do. And you need to really be focused. and Because uh, you're going to have issues. You're going to have flat tires, blisters, uh you know, my philosophy is you expect the best, plan for the worst, and be grateful for what you got. Because uh, uh, a, a lot of different things can happen, as anybody knows, that does much archery hunting. So we watched the rams. Uh, we'd watch the rams go into their bedding areas. So we set up above them, and we're up on top, and we're relaxing. Each of us are taking a power nap and having snacks, staying hydrated. We, uh, we're, we're, we're continuing to watch for other sheep. So if this stock doesn't work out, maybe we'll have another group of rams to, to look at. And like I said, there's, there's quite a few rams on this mountain. About 80% of them spend their time in these two canyons. Are, are they with the ewes or are they? In August, the rams are by themselves. So bachelored up. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't probably an hour of sitting there and just kind of small talking, making plans that Scott says, I got more ramps located. And so he swing the binocular spot and scope up there at the top of the mountain where we came from. Right in, there's a a patch of timber in a, the trees grew in a V. Mm -hmm. And in the inside of that V, that crotch was... A band of rams, and you could just barely make them out. But just one ram after another was crossing that opening. Little sliver right there in the opening. There was a tremendous ram in that group. It just looked like a two-by-four curled around, just a big old glazed donut up there in the timber. And I was told Scott, if I, if I come back empty-handed, uh, keep an eye on those rams, so I want to go after that ram this evening if it works out at least know where he's at this evening because meanwhile you've got another group below you i'm looking uh i'm going to target this group i saw first thing in the morning 
And that ram, that that group of seven actually grew to about ten rams that morning. Okay. And there were two really good, you know, rams, and I ended up taking the, the ram I wanted, and the other ram was just as good, or if not better, scoring ram than the one I took. And um, you know, uh, a ram over one fifty is pretty. It's a good mature ram. You break one sixty, you're really you know that's getting into. Uh, um, trophy status and uh there were definitely several 160s on the mountain and a couple in that 170 plus category that actually put an eyeball on so once it got to be noontime i grabbed my pack told scott to uh, you know just hang out up here and enjoy himself keep looking for rams and uh, i'll be back in a couple hours if things don't work out and i uh, start making my way down the mountain and i head down in there and um, had my landmarks picked out, and I. When you say landmarks, I mean some people, some of these uh, uh, listeners aren't familiar with spot and stock. Um, what what Chris is saying is he he chose a, a certain bush, a certain tree, a certain rock that uh, he could familiarize himself when he got over t- to that area. Is that is that what what you're referring to? Well, everything looks the same over there once you get across the canyon. I knew the rams went into the basin, and there was a nice, sharp, knife uh, rocky knife-edge cliff that ran uh, kind of like a finger ridge down the mountain. That I, was, that's, I knew of, once I found that, I needed to make sure the wind was right and then really uh, take my time peeking over the edge and looking down inside the basin for um, these, this band of rams. I started at the top. When I peeked over, it was, you could tell the rams were using this a lot. There were, ram, there were empty ram beds all over, down below the rim rock and in the timber there. And I just needed to take my time and work my way down. This was going to be my one good chance. It's about day seven or day eight of the hunt here. It wasn't until I got cleared towards the end of this rim, there's just so much shale and thin rock plates if you will that when you're walking on them they're clattering a little bit even when you're moving slow and quietly and uh i was towards the end of the rim and i was poking my way down through the rocks it's just walking on like on gravel and i looked up ahead of me at 150 yards i see a, a really nice mature ram looking at me and uh, my heart sank and he bolted, and another young uh, juvenile ram left with him. And I was really disappointed that I didn't spot them first. I kind of wondered just what my odds were if, if they spooked the other rams. But there's a lot of rocks rolling down the mountain. With all the heat and cooled air fluctuation, rocks contracting, expanding, you're continually hearing a rock or a pebble rolling down the mountain somewhere so hearing rocks clatter doesn't necessarily spook rams a lot so i stayed optimistic that just because i saw these two spook doesn't mean the rest of the rams are gone and i peeked over to the last end of that rim I, I rock think, i think that's a uh something that people should really pay attention to um you know you, you i've been in on some spot stocks on 
mule deer and you, you blow a couple out and you think it's over and you go to walk away and then uh, a whole bunch more animals uh, show themselves and you're like, what did I do that for? So I think that's a really good tactic to take uh, a tip that you've given is just to stay calm just because a couple have uh, fled the scene doesn't mean it's over. Right. The fact that these ramps just are not being pressured right. by the the predators made them a, a lot more visible. Because uh, I talked to other sheep hunters who, same sheep hunt, didn't have near the action uh, and sightings of rams like I did because they did see a wolf or two during their sheep hunt. So it's... Uh, I'm at the end of the rim. I've peeked over in about four different basins along the rim. Saw lots of sheep sign, empty ram beds. And I'm going to peek over the last bit of the rim. It's it's now early afternoon. The sun's up. It's, it's hot. The wind, though, is perfect. It's blowing in my face. And I peek over, and it was just the most beautiful an enjoyable sight to peek over and just below me out of bow range he was down there about 60 yards laying underneath a juniper tree the sun is just highlighting his his hindquarter and I'm finally getting close to my first sheep in this hunt I thought finally you know, I'm in the game. Um, looking the situation over, I realize I can slip down the rim rock a little bit more. If I uh, got a nice little six-foot cliff, I, if I'm real careful, I can lower myself over to cl- over the cliff onto a little uh, bench, uh, rim rock bench right there, and that'll put me within about you know 50 yards of these of this ram. And uh, I was able to do that. Uh, I brought up my binoculars, and I'm glassing on the low side of that juniper tree. Um, and I see more movement in there. And there's two good mature rams in there. These, these are solid 150 rams. They're clearly you know, mature rams. I'd be happy to take with either one. Uh, interestingly enough, well, half an hour later, these two rams get up and they start browsing. So you're just hidden, holding tight at this point? Exactly. I've got all day. The wind isn't going to be doing anything swirly for another couple hours. And I'm just living the sheep hunter's dream right now. Mm. I'm right above these rams. They have no idea I'm there. And I got two mature rams, two shooter rams. They're right there at, at that 50-yard distance. And one of them turns broadside. It's just too far. Just too far for a, this homemade longbow. Yeah, you need to cut it in half. Um, I really want a good, close shot. I mean, I'm, I practiced every day at camp. I brought a 3D target with me. You know, I was putting five out of five arrows you know, in a 10 ring out there at 30 yards. I mean, it's just not a issue. But with, you know, it's mid-afternoon. I'm dehydrated now. I've got sheep fever. It's been a long, hard eight days of, of uh, getting through the learning curve. Um, 
pacing myself and having a, the good added, a good positive attitude, I just uh, I need that ram about twenty yards closer. Uh, about that time, I have a you know I'm standing on top of this steep rocky rim. You know I'm about it's twenty feet straight up, straight up and down, and it goes for. 200 yards to my right up the mountain and a lot of it I couldn't see and I hear a rock roll to my right really close and I'm wondering what in the world where'd that rock came come from and what made the rock roll and I looked down to my right and what I didn't realize was the rim it actually swung back in and created a, a little pocket back in there I couldn't see I see six inches of horn sticking around the corner. I realize the ram, one of the big rams is just laying there around the other side of this rim 20 yards away. He eventually turns and goes back and I, I don't see him. And then a real young juvenile ram comes up and he sees his buddies down below him browsing nibbling on the buck brush down there and he decides to bail off and go join him I realize you know the big ram's still back in there I'm knocked up I'm poised I'm just kind of keeping a low profile patiently waiting this is going to be a patience game now this big ram finally decides I hear him bail off the cliff back around the corner there and jump down on the, the sheep trail. It's one of those moments that you'll never forget when you first see a great big buck on a hillside or a big bull. This great big ram trotting down the sheep trail directly underneath me. And I just never forget these big dark brown three-quarter curl horns bobbing, swinging back and forth, rocking back and forth. Oh, yeah. Just a... Just a beautiful sight. The older rams just have a beautiful silvery gray coat that the young rams just don't have. And uh, in my mind, a dream ram is one that's got photogenic appeal. And I love a ram with lamb tips. He's got flair. And he... He's got some width to his his horn spread, and this is what a ram this this ram had. I actually saw this ram on the second scouting trip, and immediately fell in love with him, and nicknamed him Pretty Boy. Mm. It was just a uh, it was an awesome evening. Buddy Tor was sitting there with me. We were watching him, and we saw we saw three rams. Two of them were mature rams, and then. Later on, an hour later, a, a juvenile ram came over the top out of the timber, and it's just lots of rock shale slides everywhere. They're just impossible to silently sneak across. And this juvenile ram standing there, I actually got the spotting scope on him, and I'm looking at him. And you know, with the spotting scope, you got such a narrow field of view, so it's kind of funny that this big ram I nicknamed Pretty Boy for the first time ever putting eyes on him walked out of the timber 
and into the spotting scope viewfinder along with this juvenile ram. And he was clearly the, the, the matriarch of the, of the group. He was the, definitely the lead ram. And here I am standing directly above him. He's coming underneath me. Uh, I'm, uh, it's such a straight down shot. I got my longbow, the bottom limb of my longbow in between my legs. Uh, my toes are just inches from the edge of the cliff. It's, you know, it almost felt like you're in a tree stand. And I'm just poised and ready to, to make, you know, a shot. Um, the ram comes underneath me. He, uh, just turns perfectly out, out away from me and walks directly away from me to some buck brush and starts browsing on it. And it, that gave me the, the quartering away shot I looked at, uh, it was about a 30-yard shot, but like I said, this is, this is a steep down shot. And when you have a downward angle, a steep downward angle shot, it actually shortens the range up a bit. It wasn't that far a shot. Right. And uh, I was totally at peace. I was totally relaxed. I, um, I, when I prepare to take a shot at an animal... The things that are going through my mind, I'm telling myself, is this is a very serious responsibility when you get ready to lose an arrow, shoot an arrow at an animal, and that uh, I have to take full responsibility. And that helps me definitely get into that zone I need to be into. I need to be focused. I need to be concentrating. Um, thinking about picking a spot and visualizing that arrow getting to that to that um target i'm aiming at in this case this is that ram and it was uh just an autopilot i just drew back with my homemade longbow i was shooting about 55 uh, pounds at 28 inches and uh, i love a, a bright fletched arrow i was shooting some real bright canary yellow feathers and it was most beautiful I can see it today, even though it's been a few years. Just the flight of that yellow-fletched arrow flying through the air and connecting with the ramp, just exactly what I was aiming at. Made a great shot. Um, the ram bolted. The rams all circled around him, and we're wondering, you know, where did that noise come from? What, ju what just what made the lead ram spook? It was just um, just a, a very satisfying feeling of accomplishment of knowing I just took a fantastic took a fantastic dream ram, uh, did it with my own homemade traditional archery gear, knowing here in just a few minutes I was going to get to put my hands on him and uh, the rams bolted and made their way up uh, through the timber and into the rim rocks. And uh, the big ram separated from the group. He went up a little higher, actually, and laid down in the shale and expired. And I just sat down and just took a, just a, just a big breath of relief, a, a sigh of relief, knowing that I, I did something I've dreamed of since I was just a little boy. 
You know, I grew up with dad who um, did a lot of hunting, very avid. My dad used to be a uh, Pope and Young scorer. He active in local archery groups. I mean, I just grew up with this as a kid, as second nature. So I saw and read lots of sheep articles and books, and I watched, you know, my dad went to Washington on a goat hunt, and uh, he talked about the tremendous struggles and and challenges he faced. None of it, none of it, it's a, it's a low point. It's just a challenge you overcome, and if you expect the hunt to go painlessly and to be... Uh, this effortless experience, then you, uh, you definitely don't want to get into tr- tr- traditional archery because it's the furthest thing. It's 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 uh, extremely challenging in every way. I uh, get the old digital camera out, and I still got a couple rams in front of me at about sixty yards. So I started taking pictures of them, and I heard some noise behind me. It sounded like a couple rocks that hit each other and I turn and look behind me and lo and behold there were three rams behind me I didn't even know they were there one of which was a shooter there so I took pictures of them too and um, I uh, uh, got a hold of Scott and uh, we went down and uh, I told him I shot a ram and then when we got there, I told him I shot Pretty Boy, and he just could not believe it. He's always dreamed of drawing a sheep tag or a goat tag. He loves to watch the rams up in the eagle caps. And uh, uh, when I invited him on the sheep hunt, he was just flabbergasted and thrilled to be a part of it. We just were in awe when we got to kneel down beside the ram and put our hands on the horns. And just to touch the, the, the hair you know, in the field of the Rams Cape. Man, I'm telling you, uh, he calls him Pretty Boy. And um, the pictures uh, don't do him justice. This uh, Ram uh, lives in Chris's living room in a full-body mount. And he is gorgeous. I mean, Pretty Boy, very appropriate. Yeah, I actually had a local taxidermist by the name of Dave Patterson there in Roseburg. Uh, I've known he's, he Dave's known me longer uh, since I was just a boy that... You know, was knee high and would go into his taxidermy studio and just fantasize uh, the uh, and, and just imagine the, the hunts that involved some of the animals that he mounted were uh, dreams and to actually do one myself of this caliber. I've had some, well, that some makes, great hunts. So that makes a lot of sense that uh, you you have this long um, relationship with this taxidermy because you can tell he uh really put his uh, heart and soul into this mount i mean it is it is spectacular one of these days i'm going to draw the same tag as chris you will you will and And we're going to go over there and we're going to we're you're going to you're going to take a bigger ram than me it's going to be episode 100 of the trad quest podcast it's going to be it's going to be awesome we're going to have a bunch of trad buddies over there we're going to help james get uh, a ram that'll uh just some specs on my ram it was seven and a half years old he uh Scored 160 inches, and he netted 159. And uh, what a specimen! Since uh, I now took he's my, a, he was a California Ram. That's a California Ram. We educate also have Ro- we also have Rocky Mountains in Oregon too. Yeah, educate me. I don't know the difference. What is the difference? Well, uh, your Rocky Mountains are a uh, primary species that live in Northeast Oregon. They like the they got them in the Eagle Caps. Um, and they're going to be a little bigger body size 
gonna grow a bigger horn configuration than your California bighorns. Uh, California bighorns are a subspecies that are gonna be a little smaller framed body-wise, a little smaller horn, but um, Oregon has a lot more hunting opportunity, way more hunting opportunity for the Californians than the bighorns. Yeah, there's um, in my stats here, bighorns, seven tags versus 77 California bighorn tags. So Yeah, so just to give the listener but, but, perspective. But, but both doesn't matter. Bighorns, it's all once-in-a-lifetime Whichever one you put in for and you draw, that's that's it forever. You cannot put in for a bighorn sheep. As of right now, that's how Oregon has a policy set up. If I could put in for a raffle, um, or an auction, or you could or you can auction for one. And there's one raffle tag in the state and one auction tag, so pretty slim odds there. So California, you can you can find California Rams obviously in California, Nevada, uh, Idaho has some, Washington has some, and British Columbia has some. So. Uh, I feel incredibly blessed. I thank God for the opportunity, and, uh, and uh, we'll see what happens from here. Something I like to ask my uh, my guests also is um, the meat. Uh, did you love the bighorn sheep meat? What was your favorite cut off of it? Um, how was it? Well, I've got uh, the privilege. I eat a, a lot of different wild animals from black-tailed deer, mule deer, white-tailed, Roosevelt elk, uh, some moose, some buffalo, and um, the bighorn ram was uh, excellent meat. The California bighorn ram was excellent meat, which was kind of interesting. I didn't really care for my mule deer, and the bighorn ram eats the same thing the mule deer eats, you know, sagebrush and buckbrush, and I'm telling you, I, I mean, everybody, I gave some meat to my dad and Scott, and all of us thought that the uh, sheep meat was absolutely excellent. And it's, not, it's nothing like mutton. And if you had mutton... It's nothing, big, uh, wild sheep is nothing like mutton. It's truly a wild game meat. So did, now this is, uh, it's in the books and you're, uh, it's August. I mean, we still got elk season, deer season. I mean, you got to be uh, pretty fired up now for hunt season. It's just, I mean, it, it just hasn't even started yet and you've already right. got a bighorn down. Still got a, well, we have a week until opening day of elk season. Yeah, and uh, before we jump down the rabbit hole of elk and deer, because let me tell you, Chris Tipton is one heck of an elk and deer hunter. Uh, we're going to save that for the next podcast, man. Uh, um, and I, I definitely appreciate having you on. I, I felt like I was there on the hunt hearing you talk about it. And uh, I hope uh, uh, I hope I have that opportunity to do that someday. And I hope uh, and I know you'll be there with me. So uh, thank you so very much for being you Chris uh, thank you for uh, being such a good mentor and a great friend um, you've been instrumental in uh, getting me to where I am uh, in my uh, bow hunting career if you will well thanks for having me on it's been just a ton of fun to just relive the uh, sheep hunt it's uh, hopefully I get to have some friends like you will draw the tag here in the near future and uh, we'll get to team up and uh have some some scrambled eggs over a Coleman stove out there in eastern Oregon somewhere and and uh, carry some Swarovski binoculars up the mountain. And Chances are I'm 38. We'll, we'll probably be like in our 60s when I draw, but we'll be up there. Well, we're it. not the only two applying. You're yeah. not the only one applying. Uh, hopefully Norm Johnson and uh, yeah. we'll get some other guys uh, on the board with some sheep tags here in the near future and uh, we'll got some future podcasts to get cranked out and 
uh, wet people's whistle for some traditional bow hunts. Thanks for joining us for Chris Tipton's Bighorn Sheep Hunt. I look forward to having him back on the show so we can talk blacktails and Roosevelt's. Speaking of Roosevelt elk, next week I've got Dan Godfrey talking traditional bow hunting Roosevelt elk. It's going to be awesome. You're not going to miss this. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, Blueberry. Check me out at www.tradquest.com or send me an email at tradquestpodcast at gmail.com. I'm going to keep bringing you guys hardcore traditional bow hunters like Larry D. Jones and Chris Tipton. So keep tuning in. I appreciate all the support so far. Thank you very much.